0: This is Stories of Strength by MuscleTech, personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength.
1: Welcome back to another edition of Stories of Strength, a podcast where we share personal and inspirational tales of redefined strength. I'm your host, Jay Cardiello, and with me today is someone who is a true inspiration. Joining us is Chris Norton former American football defensive back who played division three football for Lutheran College Norse before becoming paralyzed due to a tackle during the game. Despite being given a 3% chance of ever regaining movement below the neck, he has continued to recover some sensation and mobility throughout his body. I'm so excited to have Chris here today. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. It's an honor to have you today.
0: Thank you, Jay. It's great to be here. Uh,
1: thank you again. Before we get into about the injury and and the rehab and and about the movie, can you tell us a little about growing up and what it was like playing football for Luther College North?
0: Yeah, growing up, I love sports. I love competition. Like I was just that typical, I don't know, little boy that loved to get dirty and uh, wrestle with friends and just do anything to I could do to win. I could be rock, paper, scissors, (laughs) slapjack,
1: jack, uh, It
0: Doesn't matter. Like I, I love competing. I love, you know, being outside and just having a ball in my hand. So when I had the opportunity to play, you know, football at the next level, I jumped at it. I could have played basketball actually, but, oh wow, you know, being 5'11", six foot, and I knew how much time and commitment it takes to pull off a jump shot and the, the ball handling with basketball. Like I, I'm just not into it. I'll, I'll go with football. I, I loved hitting people. I love being in the weight room, working out with the guys. Like, I can do that, and I could play probably right away. Uh, I knew going into that, that was my opportunity to get in there early. So entering college, I was on top of the world, big plans for myself. I'm going to be this All-American football player, meet the girl of my dreams, and then hopefully make enough money to own a lake house. (laughs) Or better yet, the girl of my (laughs) dreams family already owns a lake house. But, you know, the old saying goes, life happens to you while you're off making other plans. So true. But I I love playing for the Norse and I was slowly working my way up the depth chart before my injury.
1: That was a great mantra. What was that again? Life has what? While you're busy off making other
0: plans, like life happens to you.
1: That is a great mantra, I like that. I really do like that. So was football the passion that led you to college or were you pursuing other things like studying or or any other uh, major?
0: business management i didn't know if i was going to go kind of the business route maybe law route i didn't really know at that point in my life i was like well what's going to make me a lot of money that was like a big goal <laughs> an aspiration at the moment as an 18 year old kid i was like man i i'd love to have a lot of money like that'd be really cool obviously as i have matured and grown up like i've definitely realized money is not the most important thing but at that time, that's that's what it was.
1: Yeah. So for many of us who don't know, could you take us back to the injury and what exactly happened?
0: Yeah. October 16th, 2010, beautiful fall day. You got the leaves changing colors, low sixties and my family in the stands cheering me on. It was the sixth game of my freshman season. And so I'm on all the different special teams units. It's the third quarter. We're mounting a comeback against one of our inner conference rivals, the Central Dutch. And this is for the conference lead. Uh, so we're like down a touchdown. The kicker huddles us up. He calls the play mortar kick right, which simply is a short, high-arching kick to the right side of the field. And I don't know why we didn't just call it kick right, because our kicker was so bad. Every kick was short and high arching. (laughs) Anyway, you know, I was pumped because I play on the right side of the field. This is my opportunity to make an impact. So the ball's kicked. I sprint down field as hard as I possibly can go. I see an opening forming and my instincts are telling me, okay, that ball carrier, he's going to try to run through that gap, but I'm going to stop him. I'm going to drive my shoulder so hard through his legs. Hopefully he'll drop the ball. And I go for it. I collide with them at full speed, full force, but I mistimed my tackle by a split second. Instead of getting my head in front of the ball carrier, my head collided right with his legs. And in an instant, I lose all feeling and movement from my neck down. Mm. And I'm just lying there face down into the ground, motionless i'm listening to the players crashing to each other above me the whistle blows the pile clears off but i can't get up no matter how hard i try to move anything in my body like nothing is working and it feels like someone just flipped the power off to my body i had no idea that i had just suffered a severe spinal cord injury and from that point forward, my life would look completely different.
1: What was going through your mind at that point? Now, at first I was calm and
0: collected. I'm thinking, okay, this is well embarrassing. Actually, I, I didn't want to be the injured player on the field. I didn't yeah. like that kind of attention. I kind of consider myself, I have an identity of a, this being this tough guy. Um, I'm going to play through things and I'm not going to whine for attention from like a you know, little injury or being hurt. So I'm thinking, man, I got to get up. This is, they're going to stop the game for me. And of course, they stop the game. The athletic trainers run over and they're asking me questions like, Chris, can you move anything? Like, move your hand. No, I I can't move my hand right now. Just give me some time. I'm thinking in my back of my head, okay, this is a really bad stinger. Basically, I've had stingers in the past playing football in high school where, you know, sometimes I, I hit someone really hard. And kind of like pinched, almost like a nerve or something in my body. I don't know the science behind it. But basically, my body went numb temporarily for about a couple minutes. And then I was able to kind of get the feeling back and the movement back and walk off the field. So I'm thinking, wow, this is a really bad stinger. I just got to give it a little bit more time. But they roll me carefully. You know, there's like different athletic trainers, like a medical doctor. There's a bunch of people there with me. They roll me on my back. And I'll never forget making eye contact with one of the student athletic trainers and i could just see in her eyes like she's terrified she knows something that i don't wow Uh, the guy that i was talking to like the head athletic trainer he was really calm his name was chris as well as chris cam really professional just kind of a soothing guy but i could see from her like this is bad news but in my mind i'm gonna i'm a happy-go-lucky guy the glass is always half full it's going to be okay. Like bad things don't happen to you, Chris. That's what I'm telling myself. Uh, You know, bad things happen to, you know, people you read about or you watch on television or maybe it's a guest in your podcast, <laughs> Jay, but there's no way, you know, something bad is going to be happening to me. It, it just doesn't happen. I felt like I was immune to disaster up to this point, 18 years, nothing's really gone that bad. Well, you know, as they're asking me questions. The paramedics get involved, and shortly after that, they radio in for a helicopter. Mm. That's when I know, okay, this is really bad. This is more than just a stinger. And you know, after 20 minutes, I still can't move anything in my body. And at that point, I close my eyes. Yeah, you know, the fear is sky high, and I just begin to pray, God, please. I don't know what's going on, (laughs) I don't know what exactly, how this could be part of like a plan for me, but I just beg you, I want to be a normal college kid, I love my life, I love college, I I love being with my friends and all the people I'm meeting, I don't want to leave this, I don't want for anything to change, and if that means I have to stop playing sports, I'll give up sports, and that was a huge, you know, bargain or sacrifice at the time, was the idea of giving up competitive sports, because you know, that was my identity. I love competing and I will give it up though. Just give me the ability to walk and be with my teammates and I'll, I'll put it, football and everything behind me. But, you know, little did I know at the time, you know, God had a, a much bigger plan for me than the plan I had for myself. And slowly, they, I, they put me on the stretcher, you know, I'm wheeled across the field. And then, you know, it's typical when you're the injured athlete and you're being helped off the crowd, they begin to clap. They, They kind of cheer for you. And then as an injured athlete, you acknowledge the crowd. You give them a thumbs up to let them know, hey, you're going to be okay. So they're beginning to clap. And I'm thinking about this kind of this typical sports routine of acknowledging the crowd with a thumbs up. And when I try to move my arm and my hand to give the thumbs up, nothing, nothing happens. After now nearly over 30 minutes have gone by and I just hits me like I've been to so many sporting events I've watched so many sporting events I've never once seen a time when the athlete couldn't acknowledge a crowd in some way and the fear inside me just explodes even more (laughs) but now you know I wish if I could go back to that moment I would have liked to have been the first athlete to ever give a thumbs down (laughs) like not doing so good you can all quit clapping now yikes (laughs) Have you ever seen somebody do the thumbs down? Though that was that was my idea. Let's give uh, credit where credit's due. (laughs) But that was uh, just a a moment, a scene at the stadium that you know I'll never forget. It was extremely you know eerie. Just the realization of wow, this is this is bad.
1: Yeah, as I was watching your movie, I was I was at that point where you got injured came to me, and uh, I had a major spinal injury. I had two. I had 16 surgeries. I broke my spine when I was a uh, track and field athlete at the University of Arkansas. And uh, I had two major spinal fusion surgeries. And I remember just your motivation and your dedication to get, wanting to get up and to give the thumbs up. And after everything that happened, where did you find that motivation not to give up?
0: A lot of places. But I feel one of the biggest things is I, I have a faith in God. I just believe that you know, with God and and with my hard work that there's a future for me. Like there's plans to prosper me, not to harm me, uh, to, to, yeah, to give me a future. And I, I believe that as hard as that was at that moment, I also knew the alternative of not believing there's a future for me, that this is the end of my life, that it's the end. Like there, there's no way forward after that. It's just, Like I know my future if I give up. And it's gonna be sad, it's gonna be miserable. But if I try, if I give this a shot and have hope and, and believe that, you know, maybe I can get better. I don't know what that looks like. Hopefully at that moment it was, I gotta walk again. I gotta get back to school. Like those were the driving forces, my why, for me to be like, I will figure out the how. I will do whatever it takes. To get better, to get back to where I wanna be. And so that was one of my my biggest things for me to just keep waking up and I'm gonna give this a shot. Now, don't get me wrong, just because I had that belief and that hope that, you know, I think things could get better, I still had sleepless nights. I had nights where I questioned everything, like, is it really worth the time and the effort I'm putting into this? Like, is it, am I just gonna fail? Is this a hopeless cause? And so I had those Fears that I had to wrestle with all the time, but one of the things I kept reminding myself too is that you know your future will take care of itself when you take care of today. Your future will take care of itself when you take care of today, and so I just kept taking on this what I call radical responsibility for this day, for this moment. That it's up to me to get better. No one else is going to save me. But it's up to me to do the work and me to keep trying uh, no matter what it takes, no matter how uncomfortable it is, no matter how hopeless it is. I have to keep trying. I have to find a way forward. And so I just kept trying to motivate myself just one small session at a time. And then I kept then focusing on the progress, right? I kept making sure I celebrated the small wins, not being completely content with that, But just being able to celebrate that and use that as fuel to keep going, that there's opportunity for more. And so I just kept pushing the envelope, and slowly I I was able to make progress, get some movement back in my arms and my legs, uh, and I just kept going from there.
1: You know, you speak with so much strength and tenacity. You remind me a lot of a dear friend and someone we had on this podcast was Eric Legrand. When he spoke about his spinal cord injury, you, you speak with that same passion and that same belief. And it's just, you know, when I, when I hear you speak, it reminds me so much of, of interviewing him and also the words of belief that he speaks. Can you tell me about the significance of the mantra, the little things I do extra are going to make the difference between what I can and cannot do?
0: Yeah, exactly. To, you know, what I've alluded to is like, I don't know what the future holds and, and no one does, but... I know that if I keep trying, it's going to create a lot more possibilities than if I didn't. I don't know what can happen. And I want to though, go down trying. That's one of the biggest things. I didn't want to have any regrets where I'd look back and I thought, man, if I only would have worked a little bit harder, if I would have tried a little bit more. If I would have not you know, cut corners or skipped a workout or, or skipped an um, opportunity that and I could have been getting better, over you know watching television or or doing this or that. I just didn't want to have those moments. I knew I would have sleepless, sure. restless nights if I would ever not try and do everything in my power to get better. I didn't want to feel that regret because I, I thought about what that would feel like, and that feeling was something yeah I didn't want to experience. So I just kept trying and try to think about the possibilities instead of the impossibilities. Now, that's one of the biggest things that we all get hung up on, right? Is we start to think about what we can't do, what we think can't happen. And, but you you just don't, you just don't know. And what I try to focus on, okay, what can I do about this? Where are the opportunities I can improve? Where do I have influence? Because there are a lot of things outside of your control And, and that's tough. And those are the things where I don't focus on. I focus on what's in my control and let's focus on that. Let's optimize that and get better each every day every day
1: yeah more people should take on that is to focus on things that we can control as opposed to things that are out of our control that we can't that uh you know and what happens is we focus on that too much going through this you speak a lot about faith how important was your faith during this time
0: oh i mean it was huge it was kind of the the foundation of everything that kept me going you know it was the light at the end of the tunnel that there is a hope there there is a future and that's when you have hope, I mean, that's one of the most important things you can ever have uh, when going through something. Because if you don't believe things can get better, then why try? Like, there's no point in trying. If you think there's no way anything can get better, why? Because of my faith and my belief it's like, well, I do believe things can get better. I don't know what that will look like, but I know there can be purpose behind it. Now, suffering is just suffering unless you give it meaning, And with my faith, it will give my suffering, what I'm going through, meaning. And so that's what I believed in, that there's going to be a meaning behind it because I'm choosing to give it meaning and find a meaning with it. And I didn't know what that's going to look like, but I'm going to figure it out. And that's one of the things I prayed to. I, I wished for some sort of revelation where I could just see the future. Like, can I just get a glimpse? Of what my life will look like in five years. Can I just see like where this all takes me? Like is this a hopeless cause? Like I just wanna see my future. I wanna just know that everything I'm going through is gonna be possibly worth it. And yeah. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's just not how faith works, right? You sometimes you have to believe in things that you can't really make sense of or you can't really see in front of you or, or make yeah, it makes sense. So I just knew I had to keep going.
1: In the movie, we learned a lot about your mom. And your mom was very much a champion for keeping negativity away during rehab. What effect did cultivating optimism have on your physical and mental health during your rehab?
0: Oh, it was huge. That, the environment that you put yourself in really has an influence on everything that you do and, and your direction. Uh, in my family, they were instrumental in making sure that we're going to think about the possibilities and what we can do. And uh, we're going to have hope. And so when you're around people who are sharing that same belief and that optimism as you, it's just then the norm to believe in yourself and to believe that things will get better. And when you, you have that, you you get motivated, right? But when you're around a bunch of people who, yeah, this is hopeless. It's not going to work out. It's fine. Something else to keep our minds on. And then that's what you're going to do, right? Like that it's hard to break out of that and, I was just very blessed that the people that I had to spend time with in the hospital, like my family, happened to be very positive, optimistic individuals. And then my my friends also were on board with that. But I also know too, like you also attract, when you're positive and you have that belief, you also attract other believers and people who are positive too. And you can also instill that into them. And also, I, I had plenty of, you know, PTs, doctors, OTs, people I worked with that I could tell they didn't have that same belief as I did. And I eventually found ones that did, that were just as motivated as I was, who were going to work alongside me and do everything in our power to move forward and to get better. So that was a you know a big part of my success, too, is just finding good people who had that same optimism, that hope, that Let's see what can happen. We don't know. Like, don't put a cap or a closing or an endpoint on where I can go. I don't don't like that when people try to limit others. You just don't know what can happen. So that was a big part of too. Yeah, my, my success is those influences around me.
1: And listening to you answer this question reminds me of that mantra, we are the average of the five people we hang out with the most. And it's so true. When you get around positivity, you become positive. When you bec- when you get around negative people, you become negative. So it was very important that you had people who were positive around you. And I, I applaud your mom for what she did. What do you feel, Chris, was the most challenging physical obstacle you need to overcome during your rehab? I don't know
0: if it was necessarily physical. It was always mental, really. Uh, it was always kind of a, a mental game of, I mean, think about working on moving your fingers for an hour straight and you just see them twitch a little bit and like you're they're not even moving and that's all you're focusing on is moving your fingers like the exhaustion uh, and the frustration of just focusing like something so arbitrary like moving your fingers like you know that's should be it's so secondhand thought right for an able-bodied person like it just is what like There's no concentration that needs to go into moving a finger. But when you lose it and that's all you want is to move like a finger and then you're just concentrating just all this mental capacity and focus on to doing that. And you hardly see a thing is exhausting. It really is. So I think that fatigue in itself of sometimes not seeing progress, of not having things move the way you, you want it to move when you gone your whole life, easily moving it, and then all of a sudden it's taken away from you and you have to relearn everything. That was tough. But then another like physical barrier was just my body adjusting. The blood regulation inside my system was off because of my injuries. So, you know, if you haven't been drinking water and you go from laying down to sitting up really quickly, you get lightheaded and you you might faint or get dizzy. Well, that's how it felt like all the time just being slightly upright, that was a battle in itself, just being able to get lifted into a chair and being upright and not feeling like you have to puke and pass out. And so that was one of my first therapy sessions, just sitting in my chair, trying not to throw up over myself and pass out. So just trying to push, you know, the time. Okay, I I did 20 minutes yesterday, today I'm gonna go for 40 minutes. I don't care if I pass out, but that's what's gonna be the goal. And then the next day, you try to push it a little bit further. And I just kept trying to focus on just one little milestone after the next.
1: You know, you remind me a lot of my rehab process. One of the big things I had to do is I had to relearn to work my fingers and move them and re-wiggle uh, my toes. So it was, and you know, people are like, what did you do in rehab today? Well, I, wigg- I wiggled my toes. And it was it was such an applauding to that. People are like, well, you wiggled your toes. They can't empathize. They can't, they can't understand it. But when you do lose that something that you took advantage of for so long it's kind of hard it also is very humbling so i was very humble during each rehab process that i went through in the hospital
0: yeah absolutely
1: humility that you that we faced and then the also too the unknown and the uncertainty that was a big thing for me was the unknown the uncertainty what what tomorrow was going to bring was it where i was i able to get and stand up and walk or i'm not going to be able to stand up and walk so Mm -hmm.
0: no for sure that reminds me too when i was in the rehab gym it was probably like the second week And I'm working on curling my arm to my shoulder, just a simple arm curl. As I'm trying to, you know, lift it, I'm starting to get a little bit easier. And so my therapist, she goes over and grabs a half pound ankle weight that has like Velcro straps. So she Velcro straps it to my wrist and my hand because I don't have any finger grip to actually hold the weight. So they Velcro it to my wrist. So it's just a half pound. I'm like, oh my gosh, like half pound. Like I could barely lift my arm to my shoulder like that. That's a lot of weight when you can barely lift your arm. And so I'm trying, my arms just shaking like uncontrollably, but I was able to make it to my shoulder. And I was with my my parents and my sisters and they all start like cheering, (laughs) kind of clapping, like what a huge moment. And I start like, you know, I'm smiling like, wow. Like I lifted that half pound weight. And then all of a sudden all my emotions just tanked because I thought about what I was lifting two weeks before that. I'm like what? All I can lift is a half pound weight. Like when I was lifting, I don't, I don't remember the number, but thirty times that, and all of a sudden, all my joy just got, just gone, just ripped away, and I, I can remember like fighting back tears in my eyes. But this moment was a really big moment for me of learning to let go of the past mm. and to stop comparing myself to the able-bodied chris and it be kind of a, began a, a grieving process really for me i mean the grieving process was definitely ongoing but it was just a small part of that grieving process of like letting go of that able-bodied chris and just another reminder of like i can't compare myself to how things were before, like this is a whole new life. Like I've kind of been in a way like reborn and I have to compare it to where I started. And I couldn't even lift my arm two weeks ago as well. And so that is progress, that is something to celebrate. And so I really had to start separating almost two lives in order to keep me motivated and keep me moving forward because at that point it's like, yeah, I'm, I wanna quit. Like half pound weight, like this is nothing. I. This, why am I, this is a waste of time, but so I really had to fight those emotions inside of me to, to keep myself going.
1: Yeah. You bring up a very interesting point. Cause I was the same thing. It was like, you know, the little, just wiggling the toes. And then I'm thinking, you know, a week beforehand, here I am competing at the national championships. You know, what's, what the heck's going on? You know, it's, and I too had to separate that old past person and the new person where I was just couldn't wiggle my toes. And now I'm wiggling my toes. So I applaud you for that. Chris, can you tell me about the message behind power to stand and what it means to you?
0: Yeah, it's it's a lot more than just the physical act of standing, right? It's standing up in the face of adversity. It's a power within you that refuses to give up. And so the power to stand is kind of the my my speech title. And so I do motivational speeches, you know, across the country and and I talk about people finding their own power stand. That kind of never give up, never give in kind of attitude. And it's about a way more than the physical act. But, you know, spoiler, at the end, I do stand up wow. at the end of my speech and to deliver my closing lines. But, you know, it's just something that we all have this strength inside of us that we don't even realize is there until we're really met with adversity that reveals a part of us that we never knew existed. And I, I never realized the perseverance or the resilience that was uh, almost dormant inside of me until my spinal cord injury happened. Because before this, if you told me, Chris, you're gonna suffer a spinal cord injury, you're gonna be a quadriplegic, I'd be like, my life is over. I wouldn't wanna continue on. Like that. that's like one of my worst fears is to lose all my physical strength, I couldn't handle that. And I get that all the time, like Chris, there's no way I could be doing what you're doing. Well, until you're actually met with that kind of adversity and facing your worst fear, um, you don't really know. And and you're really tested as a person, but I have found that people are stronger than what they realize. And that you, I think it was Seneca who said, "You, you suffer more in imagination than in reality.
1: Amen to that, yes.
0: And our imaginations can run rampant with our fears. And uh, we think there's, there's no way we can do this or do that. And, and sometimes it comes true. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy when you think like that. But through this, I've realized you kind of got to silent those fears, those negative thoughts in your head, and you are stronger than what you realize.
1: Yeah, a lot of us don't give enough credit to ourselves. We are stronger than than we are capable of. And until our backs are against the wall, we really do not know. Chris, you started the Chris Norton Foundation, a non for profit organization dedicated to helping people with spinal cord and neuromuscular disabilities live their best lives. What has been the journey like building it?
0: I mean, it's been one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. And the fact that you're serving others. Like, I don't know if there's anything more meaningful to life than when you can give back to others who who need it or who really want it. And if you can just find a cause or a problem that's important to you and help someone make it a little bit easier or overcome it, that's like one of the highest forms of living, in my opinion. But when I was in college, you know, I was getting some of the best care at Mayo Clinic. I was able to get some of the most advanced equipment and technology I was able to get a lot of my medical expenses covered because I was injured as a NCAA athlete and their catastrophic insurance policy is like a pretty much a form that you have to sign before you can ever, you know, step foot on the field. You have to sign these waiver forms. And basically what it did though, is cover all these medical expenses, all these things that most people don't get if they're deal with a life altering injury like mine, because most people don't get these kind of injuries in an to play event but because i did i had all these advantages and so when i'm going through the you know meeting other people with spinal cord injuries similar situations with me and they don't have these advantages they're struggling to just get transportation to afford a wheelchair to get a nurse or a caregiver it broke my family's heart and i so we started a foundation to try to give back to strengthen the quality of life For anybody with a neuromuscular disorder, like any kind of, whether it's cerebral palsy, spinal cord injury, Parkinson's, stroke, you name it, we want to help them uh, improve their quality of life. And so we started giving out grants for better rehab technology. And then we also started the Chris Dorn Foundation Wheelchair Camp, which is definitely one of the most fun things that we do every single year. Is we have a, a week long camp in Minnesota. And where kids of all abilities can come with their families as well. It's completely free, thanks to our donors and sponsors. But we zip line, horseback ride, laser tag, we do a bunch of just fun things. And it's just a special week because a lot of these kids, when you're in a wheelchair, oftentimes when you go out in public, when you go to your school, wherever you go, you're most likely the only one in a wheelchair, especially at your age, when when you're younger. Nobody else is like you. And so you're kind of the outcast a little bit. At least you you feel that way. And then there's the games and the activities that are all for able-bodied individuals that you are on the sidelines. You're watching, you're just a spectator or a cheerleader for everybody else. Well, this camp, you are the main participant. Like you are out in the field, you are doing everything. And so it's just a very empowering week for these kids to build confidence and self-esteem in themselves and for them to see the possibilities to see what they can do and allow that inner change of perspective carry forward outside of camp and so when they go back to their community go back to their school they they see more of the possibilities that they can do instead of just you know focusing on what they can't
1: That is amazing. If you ever need a counselor, count me in. I'll be happy to join you and help you out.
0: Oh, that'd be great, Jay. Love to have you.
1: It would be amazing. Now, your story was made into a Netflix documentary called Seven Yards. How did that come about?
0: Well, a production company reached out to me after my graduation walk went viral. So my now wife, Emily, she was my fiance at the time. She helped me walk across stage. That was like my big goal for college well that video would go viral like 300 million people alone on facebook watched it and got to go on some of the largest talk shows and really help kick off the you know the foundation and my motivational speaking well one of the things that when the messages were received was from a production company by the name of Photolanthropy out in Dallas and they love to share inspiring hopeful stories and and so we got to talking and you know long story short they wanted to do a movie and and they wanted to kind of center it around, you know, my next goal, which I, you know, made a, a verbal commitment that I'm gonna walk Emily down the aisle of our wedding. Seven yards. I don't know <laughs> how I'm gonna do it, but that's gonna be the goal, seven yards, marking seven years since my injury anniversary. And seven yards is three yards further than when I walked for the graduation walk, and we'd walk side by side the same way we spend the rest of our lives together. And so they wanted to capture that journey of this commitment to walk seven yards and then cover the wedding. And so that's kind of the story behind seven yards, the documentary on Netflix.
1: When you walked, I cried. It was just, it was, it was, <laughs> it, was it was tear felt. There was tears of joy. And I just, it, to see you accomplish that was amazing. And what you gave not to yourself, but to your wife that day is just such an honor of love and such a respect of love. So I just want to commend you on that. Thank you. Today, what is your relationship like with football? Football. I still love
0: football. I I watch football. I'm a huge Iowa Hawkeye fan for college. (laughs) I'm Minnesota Vikings for the NFL, which can be hard at times. (laughs) But uh, no, I I love watching the game. Uh, Obviously, you know, before I loved like the big hits and everything. But now that I know the implications of what can come from those hits, those always make me cringe. Uh, I Mm -hmm. don't... Fear for people to get spinal cord injuries. What I worry about are the concussions. I think the concussions are a, a way bigger issue and problem in football. I know they're they're trying to find safer ways to protect players' heads. I know they're, since my injury, like the year after my injury, they shortened the kickoffs. I know they've done little things like that, like got away with the wedges, pretty much like these two-man blocking, wrecking crews. Uh, on kickoffs or they're trying to take away some of the more explosive hits that would cause Mm. these injuries and the concussion. So I think those are fine to do away with. I don't think it takes away from the game. You don't need a huge blow up hit of somebody to enjoy football. True. Uh, It's still physical. It's still a lot of big hits without the full speed kind of thing. So The special teams units, especially the kickoffs and the punts, I hope they continue to make safer improvements, which I definitely have seen they have.
1: With your support motivating others, being a motivational speaker, my question to you is, are you ever going to consider coaching? Because you would be one heck of a coach.
0: Oh, thank you. You know, ironically, I don't think I would, I don't know if football coaching would be in my future, but I would love to be a basketball coach. I Honestly, uh, my dad—he was a basketball coach. He actually won a state championship for our, our high school team. Uh, he played it as a player. He won a couple championships. So basketball, like between him and my my uncles and grandparents, like has been like a huge part uh, of the family. And so I've always had them around uh, as coaches. So I feel like I know basketball like the ins and outs even more so. Than football, So I would always, I've always dreamed about being a basketball coach. Yeah. So that, I think that would be really cool, but I think it might just be, you know, little league coaching for my kids or something, but um, <laughs> that's funny you say that.
1: Well, you'd be one heck of a coach and I definitely want my son to be on your team. So uh, just with the motivating and, and, and getting through enduring hard times and everything that things happen later in life. The what you could instill in the in the minds of young people could be astronomical. So I would applaud you that, and I hopefully you do take on a career as a coach. You know, Chris, with all that you've accomplished, what legacy do you want to leave behind? I think just
0: a, a legacy of perseverance, joy, purpose, peace. I want people to know that you can go through really hard things. You can have your life completely flipped upside down. That you could be maybe not living the life you dreamed of, or imagine how it going, but yet still enjoy it, and still find meaning from it, and feel fulfilled. Yeah, just because hard things happen to you doesn't mean to stop. Doesn't mean you you quit. Like there's still a future for you. And I think with the loss of my physical strength, it really revealed to me what's most important in life, like love and serving others, family finding a purpose and, and just working towards that. I think all those things are just so important. And you know, while we talk about it all the time, they, they can still be overlooked. You know, People find so many ways to distract themselves with TV or video games, whatever it is. But I just hope people can see through me that your life can still be great even if it's, you're in a wheelchair or just something catastrophic happens to
1: you. So very poignantly said, where can people find out more about you on social media?
0: You can go to Chris A. Norton, 16, uh, Instagram. I'm sure if you just search Chris Norton, hopefully it'd pop up. But Instagram, (laughs) TikTok, Facebook are probably the the main spots for me. And then my website is chrisnorton.org where you can learn all about my foundation, my speaking, the books and film as well.
1: Speaking of film, everybody must watch that film on Netflix. It's an amazing, amazing story. Chris, thank you so much for your time and sharing with us today.
0: Yeah, thank you, Jay. I really appreciate it.
1: I want to thank Chris Norton so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Share his story and teach us about the power to stand. Make sure you're subscribed to Stories of Strength. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and tell us what you like. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Jay Cardiello, and this has been Stories of Strength, personal and inspirational tales of redefined strength presented by MuscleTech.